Good evening. This is the Babbling Brook podcast and today we'll be reading an excerpt from Fyodor Dostoevsky's Notes from the Underground. One thing to note from the notes is that Dostoevsky mentions the author of these notes to be fictitious. He insists that the writer of these notes or such a person should exist in the society considering that the circumstances from which the society that he existed was born in the notes from the underground he represents the narrator as a representative of a generation that has survived to this day in this fragment entitled the underground this person introduces himself and his views and apparently wishes to explain those reasons as a result of which that generation appeared and was bound to appear in our midst we'll be covering chapter 3 of the notes today in which he talks about the men of thought and the men of action he utilizes an example of the mouse and further goes on to recount one of his most famous analogies of which he says twice 2 makes 4 is mathematics so without further ado we will be beginning the reading of the chapter people who are able to wreak vengeance upon an assailant and in general to stand up for themselves how do they do it it can only be supposed that momentarily their whole being is possessed by a desire for revenge and that no other element is the time being but it within them a man of that sort goes as straight to his goal as a mad bull charges with lowered crest and nothing but a stone wall will stop him apropos such persons that is to say independent persons and men of action make no bones about yielding to the wall for them a wall is not an excuse for t- turning aside as it is for us the men of thought and therefore the men who do nothing it is not a pretext for swerving from the path a pretext in which as a rule no one not even oneself believes but for which one is nevertheless thankful no they just come to a halt before it for them a wall connotes something calming something morally decisive final and even mystical but about the wall later i do not consider an independent man of that type to be the real the normal man as his fond mother nature who has borne him upon earth would have him be yet i envy such a man with all the power of my spleen true he is gross but then the normal man may have to be gross how indeed do you know that his grossness is not one of his very best points anyway i daily grow more and more confirmed in my suspicion that if he were to take the antithesis of the normal man that is to say the man of acute sensibility the man who hails not from nature's womb but from a chemical retort this approaches a little nearly to mysticism a thing which i also suspect the man born of the retort would sometimes feel so conscious that he was outclassed by his antithesis the man of action that he would come to look upon himself 
despite his acute sensibility, as a mouse rather than as a human being. A very sensitive mouse, it is true, he would say to himself, yet nonetheless a mouse, whereas the other is a man and therefore etc. etc. Above all things it would be he, he the man of sensibility, who of his own volition would call himself a mouse. He would ask no one else's opinion on the matter. This is an important point. Next, let us observe the mouse in action. Suppose, for example, that it receives an insult, and it nearly always is so receiving an insult, and that it wishes to revenge itself. Perhaps it will be capable of harboring malice in its breast to an even greater extent than l'homme de la nature et de la verite. Yes, a mean debased little yearning to repay the offender in his own coin might wax in that mouse's bosom in an even meaner way than it would do in that of l'homme de la nature et de la verite since the innate grossness of the, lat of the latter would cause him to look upon revenge as bare justice, whereas the mouse, with its hypersensibility, might very possibly deny the existence of such justice. Lastly, we come to the act itself, to the actual deed of revenge. By this time, the unfortunate mouse will have augmented the original insult by surrounding itself through doubts and questionings with such a number of other insults, it will have added to the main question such a string of questions which are still undecided that involuntarily it will have collected about itself a fatal quagmire, a stinking morass of misunderstandings and emotions and lastly spittle discharge at it by the independent persons, judges and dictators who are solemnly standing around it in a ring and saluting the little animal with, foot, with full-throated laughter. Naturally, nothing will be left for the mouse to do but to make a disdainful gesture with his little paw, indulge in a smile of deprecatory contempt, wherein even the smiler itself will have no belief and retire shamefacedly into its hole. There, in its dirty, stinking underworld, one poor, insulted, browbeaten mouse will soon have immersed itself in a state of cold, malignant, perpetual rancor. For forty long years, so it may well, very well be, it will continue to recall to its mind the most minute, the most shameful details of the insult which it has sustained, and to add to them as it does so, other details more shameful still, and to taunt and worry itself with its own fancies. Of those fancies, it will be ashamed, yet it will nevertheless remember them all, exaggerate them all, and even imagine to in itself things which have never happened, on the mere pretext that one day it may obtain its revenge, and therefore it must in the meantime forget nothing or perhaps it will actually embark upon a scheme of revenge. But if it does so, the thing will be done only by fits and starts, and from behind a stone, and incognito, and in a manner which makes it clear that the mouse distrusts alike its right to wreak vengeance, and the ultimate success of its scheme, since it knows in advance that its poor attempts at retribution will bring upon its own head 
a hundred times more suffering than will fall to the lot of the person against whom the vengeance is aimed, but upon whom not so much as a scratch will be inflicted. Yes, upon its very deathbed, the mouse will again recall the whole story with compound interest added. Now it is just in the same cold, loathsome, semi-mania, this same half-belief in oneself, the same conscious burying of oneself in the underground for 40 years, the same voluntarily imagined yet privately distrusted powerlessness to escape from one's position, the same poison of unsatisfied wishes that forever penetrates inwards, this same fever of vacillation, of resolutions adapted for all eternity, and of regrets that come upon one in a moment, that there lies the essence of the strange delight of which I have spoken. So subtle is this delight, so elusive to the senses, senses that merely limited persons or persons who merely possess a strong nervous system cannot grasp a single one of its features. Perhaps, too, you may add with a simple, persons who have never received a blow in the face cannot understand it, thereby implying that at some date or another during my life, I have received such a blow, and therefore am speaking as an expert. Yes, I dare wager that that is what you are thinking. Do not disturb yourselves, gentlemen. Never once have I received a blow in the face though I do not care a pin about what your imaginings on the subject may be. My only regret is that I have dealt so few blows in my life. But enough of this. Suppose we say no more concerning this theme which you seem to find so extraordinarily interesting. Let me quietly continue what I was saying about strong-nerved individuals who do not understand the higher refinements of the pleasure which I have described. Good people who, under other circumstances, bellow as loudly as bulls, of course, we must suppose that the performance does them infinite credit, at once become mute in the face of the impossible. By the impossible, I mean the stone wall of which I have spoken. What stone wall, do you say? Why, the stone wall constituted of the nature, of the laws of nature, of the deductions of learning and of the science of mathematics. When, for instance, people of this kind seek to prove to you that you are descended from an ape, it is of no use for you to frown. You must just accept what they say. When, again, they seek to prove to you that a single drop of your fat is of more essential value to you than the bodies of a hundred thousand men who resemble yourself, and that by this deduction, they become finally resolved the so-called virtues and duties and other inventions of unreason and prejudice, you must just accept what they tell you and make up your mind to do nothing at all since the formula that twice two makes four is mathematics. To find an objection, to that find an objection if you can. Pardon us, so these people ball. But you simply cannot refute what we tell you. Twice two makes four. Nature does not ask your leave for that. She has nothing to do with your wishes on the subject, no matter whether you approve of her laws or not. You must just 
take her as she is and with her her results a wall still remains a wall and so forth and so forth good lord what have i to do with the laws of nature or with arithmetic when all the time those laws and the formula that twice 2 makes 4 do not meet with my acceptance of course i am not going to beat my head against a wall if i have not the requisite strength to do so yet i am not going to accept that wall merely because i have run up against it and have no means to knock it down does a wall forsooth constitute a full stop a signal for a cessation of the struggle for the mere reason that it and the formula that twice two make four are one or blindness of blindnesses what rather we should all do is to comprehend everything to emphasize everything to comprehend and to envisage every impossibility in every stone wall to accept no single impossibility no single stone wall if we do not feel inclined to accept it to attain in spite of the most inevitable combinations and the most refutable conclusions of logic to the eternal truth that one may be at fault even in regard to stone wall no matter how much one may seem to be not at fault lastly on recognizing that fact to subside silently with lips compressed to resignation and with a bitter sweet feeling in one's heart into a state of inertia there to dream that one need not really be angry with anyone since one's reasons for being so never existed and never will exist and have become changed and shuffled and substituted for one another and half obliterated though how or by whom one cannot think except that those unknown factors and changes cause one's head to ache more and more as the mysteries in the question remain unsolved dostoevsky in this excerpt gives us the idea of the intelligent man as he says for them a wall is not an excuse for turning aside as it is for us the men of thought and therefore the men who do nothing he says that the man of action makes a mountain of a molehill when faced with an obstruction but the man of thought will simply assume that a wall is a wall and therefore stop this is an important point to think over how we uh, approach our decisions are the man of action more proactive than the man of thought and what does the wall depict for both now these are things we must wonder thank you with this our reading of chapter 3 of notes from the underground comes to a close i will surely be revisiting this text once more during my podcast and uh, we'll be covering other chapters good night and i hope you enjoyed it thank you